Sunshine Live Radio Music Podcasts. Tearing Down Walls, a Sunshine Live Podcast with your host Sylvia Cunningham. Welcome to Tearing Down Walls. I'm Sylvia Cunningham, and tomorrow is Halloween. As a kid growing up in the U.S., Halloween was one of the all-time best days of the year. I mean, we got to go to school all dressed up, first of all, and of course then at night there was trick-or-treating. Though I do have to admit, I was never really a huge fan of the spookier parts of Halloween. But that is not the case at all for the guests on today's show. They all love spooky stories, and not just on this one particular day of the year. So on today's show, we're taking a step away from politics and into pop culture. We'll be exploring the evolution of Halloween on both sides of the Atlantic, what makes a great horror film, and why people find scary stories and true crime so intriguing. So without further ado, let's kick things off with our DJ Spotlight. Today, we welcome Jay Velasco from our partner station WNHU at the University of New Haven. He's a DJ and makes music under the alias Midnight Boutique. They're also the program director at WNHU. Thanks so much for being here, Jay. Well, thank you for having me, Sylvia. So, of course, today's show is all about Halloween and horror. So I have to start off by asking you, will you be getting dressed up this year? Yes. So... Since Halloween's on a Monday, since I'm also part of the marching band here at the university, so we're doing like this like Halloween like section, like costumes. So basically, my section since I'm in the quad line, we're actually doing characters from regular shows. So it's gonna be fun, and also just a little bit nostalgic for me since that's one of my shows that I've grown up with. What show was that? A regular show on cart from Cartoon Network. Oh, I don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that means I'm old or what's going on there. When did that come out? Uh, it came out like around like the early 2010s and ended it around like 2016, 2017. It's a hard show to explain. It's just like the producers of the, the show just went kind of crazy on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to. Yeah, I just totally missed that. Okay. Um, and are you a fan of the spookier elements of Halloween? Do you are you a fan of horror? Oh, I'm a really big fan of horror. Like, since I'm a big movie guy myself, I really like the horror movies itself. Like, one of my favorite movies are, like, The Shining, like, the old Halloween. And then Marvel just did, a like, a Halloween special, like, Werewolf by Night. They did really great with that. So, like, I really like horror. I like to watch horror movies during this time of month. And as a musician, will that inspire your music at all? Um, it did once because... The subgenre of vaporwave can get a little spooky at times because, you know, slow down samples and all that stuff because it tries to get this very, like, ominous and spooky, like, soundscape. So, yes, horror does give an influence to my music, per se. Let's talk a little bit more about your music. You make music under the alias Midnight Boutique. How would you describe Midnight Boutique? Uh, Midnight Boutique is basically my alias when I produce Future Funk, so... To explain future funk, it's basically a subgenre of vaporwave. So vaporwave derives from like the French house scene, so like basically like Daft Punk and all that stuff. And then it kind of bridges over to more of per se like samples to like 70s to 80s disco, and then like 80s Japanese city pop, which kind of derives from the Western disco area. So a lot of sample bass, and sometimes for me, I do want to spice that up, add some originals there as well. How did you get into 80s music? My dad has a lot of collection of vinyl in his basement. And like the first uh, like disco I'd record I'd say was Off the Wall by Michael Jackson. And then 
I started collecting during the pandemic and it just came off there and it just clicked to me. Yeah, you're a junior at the University of New Haven. So obviously with the pandemic, it's been a pretty crazy time at the university for you. Have you been inspired these past couple of years to make music? How has your journey been as a musician? So basically how I started as a musician is like high school, I was like making beats on my computer. I've been doing that for quite a while. And then COVID hit. So I had to take the time like I didn't have any inspiration. I was too stuck at home. But once like the second semester of my freshman college year over uh, COVID, I kind of got inspired to start making music again. And I found a lot of citations, like found like new sources of music, got a whole lot of music that was suggested to me to my roommates. So I got a whole lot of inspiration during my second semester freshman year. And to bring it back full circle to Halloween, is Halloween fully back this year on campus after probably a few dull years during the pandemic? I would say so. Basically, I've seen a lot of people on campus and it's great to see it, especially this year, since there's like a new batch of freshmen here and like kind of COVID policies have been lifted as of right now. So I would say Halloween is going to be fully back in motion, I feel like. Jay Velasco is a DJ under the alias Midnight Boutique and the program director at our partner station, WNHU. Thanks so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Life and college radio station WNHU. 88.7 FM out of West Haven. On today's show, we're talking about Halloween and why people on both sides of the Atlantic are so fascinated with scary stories. Joining me now is American horror author and Halloween expert, Lisa Morton. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Sylvia. It's great to have you. So I want to start, of course, from the beginning. How did your fascination with Halloween begin in the first place? Well, I I have always loved the holiday. I was a kid growing up in uh, the Los Angeles suburbs. I'm a lifelong Californian. And back in the 60s, I'm dating myself now, it was what I think of as the golden age of trick-or-treat. It was humongously popular in my little suburb. um, And it was a wonderful night that left you feeling so empowered because of your costume and wandering around and so forth. But I kind of fell into being a Halloween expert as an adult by accident. Um, I had been working with a publisher who asked me if I wanted to do a book with them. And they had just put out a book called The Christmas Encyclopedia. I realized, hmm, no one's ever done a Halloween encyclopedia. I pitched that to them. They went for it. And it just kept going from there. You mentioned you grew up in the golden age of Halloween. Do you think we're in a different age now, no longer the golden age? I do, because one of the huge changes that you see now is that kids no longer can go out by themselves to trick-or-treat. Their parents accompany them now, and I certainly understand the need for that, but it's a little bit sad because it was such a special thing to be able to go out with just your friends or even by yourself and um, have this like night of extraordinary freedom. So you mentioned your book, The Halloween Encyclopedia, which was published in 2003. You also wrote Trick or Treat, A History of Halloween, which was published in 2012. Do you think Halloween has evolved since then? 
Oh, yes. And it continues to evolve. Um, that is one of the things that makes it so interesting to chart from a historical angle. It is just in a constant state of evolution. One of the things um, that I have seen change gigantically just in the last 15 years, it had just started when I did Trick or Treat in 2012, but it's exploding now is global popularity. Um, when I did my first book back around 2001, there was nothing on Halloween outside of any English-speaking country. And now it is gigantic and all throughout Europe and places I never would have expected, China and Russia and Australia, which is interesting because it's south of the equator and the uh, seasons are flipped so they don't get the harvest association, but it's really popular down there right now. Do you have an explanation or a theory about why it's spread in in such a way in the past 10 years? There are two things that I see that have spread it around the world, and they're probably things you wouldn't expect. One is sitcoms, American sitcoms that have been put out in syndicated packages and distributed all over the world. And so many of those sitcoms loved Halloween. Roseanne and The Simpsons um, are two of the most syndicated popular syndicated comedies in history, and they both loved Halloween, did multiple episodes. People in another country see those episodes and think, that looks fun. And then the other thing is fast food retailing, McDonald's with their Happy Meals that come in the plastic buckets every Halloween. Um, are Those are sold all over the world. And again, you get people looking at them and going, this looks fun. My kid would look really cute in a costume. Let's do it. Now, of course, this is a transatlantic show and I'm here in Germany. How would you gauge Halloween's popularity in Germany specifically and how it's spread here? Germany had an interesting sort of development with Halloween because it had so many of its own celebrations that took place about the same time. So Halloween was a little bit slow to come in to Germany just because of all the other things that were already happening. But apparently back in 1991, there was a major festival in February that got derailed because of the Gulf War at the time. And there were a few German retailers who said, oh, what what else can we come up with later on this year to sell with costumes and decorations and so forth. And they fixed on Halloween. And so that was almost the exact year that Halloween really started to come into play in Germany. What do you think it is about Halloween that makes it so popular in so many different countries and among so many different people? Well, part of it is that we all love to test our fears in a very safe situation, which explains why we love to dress in scary costumes, why we love horror movies, why we go to haunted attractions in Halloween, um, and in some cases around the year. So Halloween gives us that chance to test our limits in a creative fashion. It's a very creative holiday. You're making decorations, you're making costumes, makeups, and it also provides the community aspect because you're usually doing it either with your family or with a group of friends. You've authored many horror stories. What makes a good horror story, in your opinion? Really, it's the same thing that makes a good story in any genre. Um, A good solid basis and characters that people can relate to, I think, is first and foremost. And if you don't have that, all of the jump scares in the world aren't going to matter. Do you think, I mean, even in the question that I just posed, asking what makes a good horror story, and you're like, well, it's just like any other story. Do you think this genre is underestimated or misconstrued? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, it, for a long time, it was consigned to the literary ghetto because it was perceived as being about nothing but blood and guts and um, extreme gore. And it almost deserved that reputation for a while at the end of the um, 1990s and into the early 2000s. But it has changed gigantically over the last 20 years. Um, all kinds of new voices have come in. The genre is much more welcoming now and interested in hearing from um, women writers, uh, writers of color, um, LGBTQ plus writers, disabled writers, and they've all started producing extraordinary works. And it's a really exciting time for the horror genre right now. Later in the show, we'll talk with the co-director of a film festival, which showcases female filmmakers in the horror film genre. How much do you think Halloween has contributed to this genre? It has contributed a lot to the genre. It is Halloween is one of the few holidays that has been shaped by movies. Um, I mean, certainly Christmas has had that a little bit, but the impact that John Carpenter's Halloween had when it came out in 1978 was extraordinary. It really was sort of the thing that flipped the holiday around and made it less of a celebration for children and more for adults. Have you ever celebrated Halloween outside of the United States? I have not, and I would love to. In fact, I've also never gotten to some of my key destinations in the U.S. I've never been to Salem for October, and I know they celebrate it all month long, and I would love to go there some year. But yes, I would love to go especially to Scotland and to Ireland, and um, I'd also love to go to Japan, where it's been really popular for a long time. Excellent. Lisa Morton is an American horror author and Halloween expert. Thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, and happy Halloween, everyone. Tearing Down Walls, our transatlantic show on Sunshine Life. On today's show, we're hearing from people in both the U.S. and Germany who are immersed in the world of horror and passionate about true crime. Joining me now are Krummel and Suze. They are the makers of the German-language podcast Schaurig Schön, Gruselstunde per Anhalter, and that translates roughly to Pretty Scary, Horror Story Hour for Hitchhikers, and every other Friday they tell haunted tales and explore spooky myths. So welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. Great to have you on the show. And joining us from the United States is Anna Danino. She is a student at the University of New Haven, which is home to our partner station, WNHU. She is the host of Crime Bistro, where she does deep dives into all kinds of cases of true crime. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. So I want to start with Kumal and Suza. Um, you have been posting Halloween countdown stories for the weeks leading up to the 31st. How and when did your fascination with Halloween begin? Um, I really don't remember when exactly the fascination began, um, but I was really young. I was also very young when my fascination with horror things started. I also don't know the exact age, but I believe I was six or seven years old. Um, my first memories are a knit cover from Stephen King and Pennywise, yeah, and the cover of a book. And um, yeah, I was in my neighbor's bedroom and uh, she adored Stephen King. And yeah, I saw that clown with chopped teeth and um, he was looking at me and I was fascinated and shocked at the same time. And yeah, later I started to watch horror movies like The Exorcist and Poltergeist. On the one hand, 
I love to see horror scenes with jump scares and on the other I regret it when I'm lying in my bed in the dark, you know. And there's a thrill. I cannot describe anything else like that. And yeah, that's why I love it. And that's why there is a passion, I believe. And yeah, and of course, there is the unknown. Yeah. Anna, you're coming at this from a slightly different angle because your passion is true crime. But are you also a fan of Halloween and spooky fictional stories as well? Oh, definitely. Um, I actually watched um, last night that new Netflix horror movie. It's Things Heard and Seen, I believe, but was kind of a mistake, as Krimo was saying, because I was alone in my house and I was a little bit freaked out, but <laughs> it is. It's like the thrill of it. Um, and what is it that intrigues you about true crime specifically? Um, it's kind of one of those like dark fascinations, like for an unsolved case, for instance, you're kind of wondering like what happened. You're looking for all the clues and nothing adds up and it's creepy, but it's fascinating because it's creepy. And on the other hand, I'm also very interested in, in the psychological side of things. So that really draws you in as well. Krummel and Suza, I don't know who wants to take this first, but you launched um, Shabrik Shun in uh, July 2021. How do you pick the stories that you highlight in your podcast? I mean, there's probably so many to choose from. What's your criteria? We take the topics that really interested us. And sometimes listeners suggest us topics and then we include this. And Anna, I want to ask you the same question. How do you choose the topics for your episodes and what are you taking into consideration when you're producing your podcast? Um, well, I try to keep it a little bit varied because I think true crime is such a broad topic. You can get into um, solved and unsolved crimes, disappearances, even conspiracies, which I do kind of get into a little bit. I, I do like that stuff. But for the most part, I consume a lot of true crime content anyway. So if something really jumps out at me, if there's a story that I'm very interested in, generally, I'll just be like, OK, well, I'll start researching this. I'll write some things down and we'll go from there. Krummel and Suza, are, are you both fans of true crime? Do you follow stories like that here in Germany? I think true crime is very, very interesting because it's real life. Yeah. And it also could happen to you. And it's very scary, too, because of that. What do you say, Suza? I find it very interesting what makes one person go so far to kill another pop, uh, people. And what is the thinking and what is he thinking or she thinking to do this and uh, what is the psychological aspect behind the act oh i just want to actually pick up on that point though because anna that's something that i know your major is sports management right is that right at the university of new haven yes but you are fascinated by the psychological um parts of it too you actually that's something you kind of specifically do a deep dive on is that right yes as this, I'm not even sure why. I have taken one psychology class and I found that to be really interesting. But it's almost just like that in between point A to point B, like how did this person get there? Like what exactly happened? And then you can start to understand. It almost makes the pieces fall together a little bit more. Well, I want to thank everyone. Um, Krummel and Suza are the hosts of Shari Schön here in Germany. And Anna Danino is a student at the University of New Haven and the host of Crime Bistro. Thank you all for being on the show today. Thank you, too. 
Thank you. Thank you too. Tearing down walls, a Sunshine Life podcast. In honor of Halloween, today's show puts a spotlight on the history of horror and fans' fascination with it. Joining me now is Ellie Levy, the co-director of the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, which showcases the work of female filmmakers in horror. The festival's big event takes place in February, but of course for Halloween, the team has curated a special screening in Berlin Vetting tomorrow on October 31st. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you. Thank you. So first off, how did your interest in horror begin? Well, it started really early. I was very young. Some would say too young. <laughs> um, it started by watching uh, Candyman, the 1992 version of Candyman, uh, directed by Bernard Rose and based on a story by Clive Barker, who's one of the big horror people, mm-hmm. horror, horror writers. Um, and it's a very, it's like kind of an urban tale, an urban haunting um, and it's a very like mature film. It's very creepy and uh, grown up. And I saw it alone, um, and I I couldn't sleep for three months alone after that. And instead of it kind of I guess scaring me off uh, horror, it in a way, yeah, it started this. Um, I was just very curious about how this one film could have such a power over me, and uh, yeah, it led to my growing interest in it. It's interesting because I think an experience like that for me would probably throw me in the other direction. I'd go running and, you know, never watch horror again. But of course, there is something compelling about something having that tight of a hold on you for that, you know, that you can't sleep for months. And, it, you know, it played with like, um, it also had like a black villain, like a, one of the co-protagonists, you could say, but played by Tony Todd. And it kind of also was related to slavery and like real like social horrors as well so there's a real like depth there to the film so it's it wasn't just any old film you know and so the the older i got the more i also like appreciated what what it was doing and also just how complex horror can actually be what what to you um i mean this is of course so subjective but you are a bit of an expert so what to you are the bones that make a good horror film i would say it needs to have its own like DNA, it has to have its own identity and point of view. Um, so if it's kind of a silly slasher, you know, do that all the way. But of course, there are different types of, of horror films. I do feel like for me, the strongest um, films that kind of leave an, a real impact is things that relate to like human horror or things that reflect social ills, you know, our realities, which I mean, there are a lot of those films. So it really has, I do feel like horror has this ability to really reflect the things that actually we don't want to look at in society. Um, You know, the return of the repressed and the others and things that other genres often shy away from. That's really, that's where its power lies. I mean, one of its main powers, at least. So the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, which you co-direct, um, it showcases work that is directed, written, or produced by women and non-binary filmmakers. Can you talk about the trope the name refers to? The final girl is is a horror trope that refers to, it's often films that were made in the 70s and 80s, slashers and stuff, where the female hero or um, the last woman standing uh, is the one fighting against the film's villain um, or the monster and survives. So in, in that sense, in the kind of like simplified sense, that's like, okay, the females are, the women are the heroes and the story. 
but it does have this sort of um, kind of moralistic tone and very like, like the final girl is different, you know, and, and the other women are like sluts or whatever, so they can die. <laughs> so uh, there is this kind of problematic turn as well. But yeah, what we try to do is use that as a way to explain how it can be new um, and used in a new way and showcase other positions of power. Um, yeah, that's kind of how we interpret it. Have different decades been associated with different kinds of, of subgenres of horror? I would say so. I mean, again, I don't want to generalize, but in broad strokes, you could say the 70s um, showed a more, I'm, I'm focusing now on the U.S. kind of um, film history here, showcased more, I guess, in, like in all genres of the 70s, um, more like gritty, um, violent kind of films, um, which was kind of a, in a way, direct reflection of what was going on in the U.S. Vietnam War, and also the that you know for the first time the news was also showing real like violence in that way, um, and this kind of disillusionment, so a lot of like downer endings, <laughs> and uh, you know in the films, and in the '80s, I mean yes, slashers were very big in the '80s, um, which in some ways had this sort of moralistic, uh, conservative kind of bent because in the end, like the order is restored, you know, and the other is vanquished and things like that. So um, you could, you know, you could see it that way. And then nowadays there's also more like a propensity for kind of cyber horror films or things, films that, you know, you you, uh, kind of explore the, the horrors of the digital age kind of things, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, again, there's a lot of like political reflections. I'm curious, what tends to be the reaction you get when you say you're the co-director of this film festival? Do you feel like there's a stigma attached to horror? And what do you think is misconstrued about this genre? Yeah, I guess the either, I mean, horror lovers are like, that's great. And, you know, other people <laughs> sure. start look at me kind of like, What's that about? What's your issue? You know, um, so I yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gets a bad rap. Uh, horror does. It's seen as something kind of like trying to aim for the lowest common denominator and uh, trashy and uh, silly. And of course, these films exist. But as I mentioned before, like there's more to this genre and uh, there's so much potential in it. And nowadays, I do feel like there's kind of been a mainstream mainstreaming of of um of horror in a way i mean considering you know jordan peele winning at forget out the oscar a few years ago and titan also winning at con last year directed by a woman julia de Corneau, which i mean we're showing her debut on halloween raw so i mean there is like this sort of acknowledgement like okay you know horror has somehow arrived but in the past there's been this sort of like films like sounds of the lambs which also won at the oscars was more categorized as a thriller because that's like the more distinguished way of categorizing, you know, and um, as opposed to horror. Um, a lot of times when people, you know, hear that I organize a horror festivals are like, oh, I'm not into horror. Like that's their first, you know, reaction. And then I talk to them some more and they're like, actually, I, I do like this and that film, but I wouldn't say that's horror. And I'm like, no, that is horror. You just don't like to see it that way, maybe for yourself. But also like our, our idea, our, our notion of horror is quite broad. Like it's, so a lot of films that wouldn't necessarily or traditionally be in a horror festival are in our festival. So, yeah, it's not necessarily sometimes the bloodiest kind of festival, but it's more like thinking about, again, social ills, social horrors, 
the women's experience in life and, and how you know terrifying that can be. Earlier, we heard from the hosts of horror and true crime podcasts, and it seems there's really been this explosion of, of interest in true crime, specifically in the last few years. What do you think of this trend, um, this rising interest in, in true crime specifically? I think, I mean, true crime has always been interesting, I think, for, for a lot of people. I think now, because of just the potential of, of platforming things and um, having larger ways or yeah, more varied ways of discussing, it's even more prevalent or seems more prevalent. But I do think especially women have been quite intrigued by this subgenre, I guess you could say, or way, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's a tricky one. Um, I myself um, am also intrigued by, by true crime, but it's it's not without its like quandaries or moral like ickiness sometimes uh, feelings because... Um, these are real people and, um, you know, that this happened to. So it is quite different to horror where it is more fantastical, even if it is trying to pinpoint things in our society, it's still not real, you know, and there is a difference. Um, and I, th I think there's, it's also like the way you approach it, you know, um, you're probably going to talk about the Dahmer uh, series maybe, right? Because that kind of was quite the sensation. And that's mm -hmm. like a prime kind of example of nowadays people are, you know, a lot of people are against it. People... Also the families, which is very important, the families of the victims. But it is also, on the other hand, trying to platform the victims in a pretty central way. So there, it's like a step in the right direction, but still pretty icky, you know, because I mean, how many, I mean, there's so many things on Dahmer already, like, was this actually necessary? That's a question. But then again, to kind of deny the fact that humans are fascinated by human evil, and like, you know, the capacity of real people and what they can do and why. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you don't want to go also for the simple whys because usually there are none. It's a complex thing, but it's not not interesting. It's not and it's not like not maybe important also to talk about. Ellie Levy is the co-director of the Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. She's also the host of the podcast The Bend, which looks at the choices we make and why we make them. Thanks for your time today, Ellie. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for tuning into our show today. Tearing Down Walls is a co-production of Sunshine Live and WNHU at the University of New Haven. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. This show was produced and edited by me and Monica Müller-Kroll. Don't forget to subscribe to Tearing Down Walls wherever you get good podcasts. Thanks for joining us. See you next time and happy Halloween. <laughs>